Lords of the Opium Church. Thanks for finally being on uh, the Slightly Fuzz podcast. Thanks for having us, man. It's been a, it's been a long time coming. I uh, I went back and, and looked at some of my notes from I don't know six months ago or whatever uh, when we were originally going to do this, and I'm glad that we had to put it off a little while because a lot has happened in in your world and a lot more to talk about and uh, announce and whatnot. But for me, at the time when I was writing those notes, I was like really wanting the podcast to be almost more funny than it was music based. So I was trying to like kind of write these little jokes and whatnot throughout and writing them down on a note card before we started. And it was like, Hey, so who else is on opium? Just me. Like, just like really cringy, dorky, <laughs> terrible, <laughs> terrible shit. And, and then lo- looking back uh, a couple of days ago, I was like, Oh, thank God we postponed that. Thank God I don't have to have to look at that. <laughs> so I'm glad that we finally uh, arranged to get this going. And, um, uh, Thanks for being on. Thanks for having us, man. So uh, let's talk about your self-titled album. I uh, I think it came up on Spotify or something for me. It was like an algorithm thing. It came up in the recommendations or something. This is before Slightly Fuzzed, I think, even was a thing. This is like over, you know, over a year ago, whatever. And, um, you know, I saw the church and it kind of it had the smoke coming out of it. I thought maybe it was on fire, had, had that gothic font on it. And I was like, and eh, this is probably a little too black metal for me or something. You know, I, I'm probably going to skip that one. And for whatever reason, I put it on and it was not black metal at all. <laughs> it was, uh, it was, it had that kind of like uh, a culty darkness to it, but it was very accessible. It was, uh, it was very fun and almost kind of upbeat. It was like, I don't know, Uncle Acid if they were like a hairband or something. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> that's, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Absolutely. yeah. Yeah, so is that how you would describe it? I mean, not maybe Uncle Acid as a, as a hairband necessarily, but, uh, you know, what, what was the plan going into Lords of the Opium Church? That's how we're going to fucking describe it now. <laughs> From now on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, we, we kind of just had some songs, you know, and we kind of didn't really want to stick to any particular genre, although we fall more in the, the stoner rock, I guess, stoner metal-ish kind of world, you know? Um, didn't really set out to do anything. I know the, the album cover is kind of brutal looking and it is a bit off-putting, but somewhat intentional, I guess, you know, um, we just wanted to take pretty much a little bit from every genre that we played, you know, and, uh, just pepper it in there. Yeah. Well, you know, now looking back the, the church is probably not on fire. It's probably more like opium smoke or something coming out of it. Right. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> It's so some kind of smoke. It might not be opium smoke, but it's <laughs> who knows? Some sort of smoke. Yeah. Open to yeah. interpretation. Yeah. So I don't I don't always ask like what people's influences are. I just feel like it's kind of a you know, maybe too common of question for podcasts and whatnot. But you do have this sound that kind of intertwines a lot of things, dark, light, you know, upbeat, whatever. So, you know, what what are some of the influences that went into making this band what it is and finding that sound that you have? Um, mainly Black Sabbath. I mean, it's, it's a cliche answer, you know, but, uh, yeah. I think that's for me anyways, on my end of it, it's, it's the, the ultimate influence, you know, was just to, uh, try to make something cool. Like 
our forefathers in Sabbath would have done and still did, you know? I think that that it is a, a common answer is Black Sabbath, but a lot of people that say it's Black Sabbath focus on like like one part of it where it's like really slow, sludgy riffs. And for me, when I hear Black Sabbath, like I hear like Ozzy and like these catchy choruses and stuff too, you know, and sometimes that gets like forgotten about or something maybe. And you guys definitely have the catchy choruses. You guys definitely know how to write a song, so... I'm glad that you picked that part out of the at least of of Sabbath at least. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of super poppy stuff that Sabbath put out, you know. And, yeah, and, yeah, uh, for sure. They're they're the masters of the hook, masters yeah. of the riffs, obviously. Yeah. So it's pretty much. I mean, all all eras to me. I, I like you know. I might get shit on for saying it, but I I mean, I love some of the Dio stuff, the the, the Tony stuff. You know, like there's there's a lot of uh, depth within that band, obviously. Have you heard the new Tony Iommi uh, cologne song that he did? <laughs> I did, yeah. I mean, well, it's cool. I don't know, like, I don't know if I'd really call it a song per se, yeah. but I forget what he called it. It was like the scent of something. Even it was like, yeah. <laughs> it was like clearly a song about the scent about of darkness cologne. Is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Darkness. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Thank- thankfully, there's no words in it. I mean, I, I don't know what. Uh, what those lyrics could have been about cologne and smelling and scent of whatever, but <laughs> yeah. you know. it smells like an old guitar case. Man. <laughs> so, all right. The, uh, the self-titled, um, we, we kind of addressed the artwork a little bit, but tell me about where the artwork actually came from. Yeah. So uh, my, my old man, my father actually painted that picture. So I believe you have it here. I do have it, yeah. I got it it up on the shelf there. It's uh we we altered it a bit, you know, to to make it size, you know, towards the album and everything. But this is the original artwork that uh yeah, my old man, he's a he's a musician as well. He plays everything, you know, and uh, yeah, told him about the the genre, you know. Oh that's Brad. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean it's it's uh you know, you guys did like darken it up a little, but that's that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he was just, uh, you know, he's been a painter for as long as I've known him, I guess, my whole life. Uh-huh. And, uh, yeah, I just told him, I said, you know, maybe maybe you can paint the album cover, or, you know, maybe give us some, something. I was pretty vague with it, you know, like a church, you know, maybe with a bit of smoke coming out of it, make it super vague, you know, kind of like a, like an old horror movie poster that would have happened, you know, back in the day when they actually hand-painted stuff before Photoshop and everything, right? So Yeah. So that was painted specifically for the album cover. It wasn't just one that he had laying around or anything. No, that was that was for it. Yeah, he uh, he did it. He was just like, yeah, sure. And they showed me that, and I was like, that is fucking morbid as fuck. And it was perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so. Awesome. Yeah, saves money. Saves money on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah Your old man can commission it. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't pay him shit. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell him that. <laughs> Most artists don't get paid shit anyway, so, you know, <laughs> he's probably used to it. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, 2021 was kind of a big year for you guys. I mean, obviously, the album came out early 2021, but even after that, uh, I think a lot has, has happened. What do you want to tell us about all the, the changes and moving of Lords of the Opium Church in 21? Yeah, there's definitely a lot of uh, a lot of stuff moving around you know um it's a good opportunity to bring in officially 
Adam and Morrissey, you know, they've joined the band. Adam's on keys. Morrissey's on drums. Eddie's a new member, too, I think, right? I mean, he, I Eddie, is, Eddie, well. Eddie is, yeah. I mean, from, from the first album, I don't even consider that now at this point yeah. because yeah. Like, he was here all along, right? But uh, yeah, Jordan's the uh, OG. Yeah, I am the OG guy. <laughs> I uh, I listened to a podcast, and again, this is kind of a while ago. Now, was it Doom Tomb? Maybe that you guys were on. Yeah, yeah, we quite were a while back. Um, and you were kind of talking about like the the beginning of of the band. Was it just you and a friend, or something? Was it like a two piece thing, and and recording it that way, or, or what? What's the story? Yeah, so basically, uh, I I played in a few different bands around uh, the Edmonton scene, and uh, met up with this guy. Uh, Rob Wallace, who used to play drums, he played drums on the first album. And uh, he worked at a recording studio here in Edmonton. And I'd met him through talking about recording with a couple other projects that I was working on and, and stuff like that. Actually, myself and Adam were in, a, were in one of the bands, you know, and uh, some stuff got shuffled around, you know, and he basically asked me, he's like, you know, you want to form a band? So he's a drummer by trade. Um, and a sound engineer. He's one of the best guys around for, for recording. And uh, so we did. We uh, we were going to just set out to be just a two-piece originally. You know, that's why there's so many, uh, so, much, so much of the octave pedaler on the first album. A lot of that stuff was just to thicken it up because we weren't going to necessarily have a bass player. We were just going to do these songs as a two-piece. Mm-hmm. Um, then a guy named Terry Pellick, who owns the recording studio, he's a bass player by trade. He heard some of the demos, some of the rough stuff we were working on, and he said, you know, even if you guys want to be a two-piece, maybe we should let me play bass on it. <laughs> so we were like, yeah, of course. We didn't set out to do anything, like any goals or really anything. We just wanted to put out some of the songs, you know, some of the songs that I was kind of sitting on that I've written a long time ago and uh, just stuff that I had. Just wanted to get it out of my system. Um, so Terry jumped on and played bass on the first album, and then – Really, there was no turning back after that. Um, since then, the two guys have, uh, you know, they've had other things, other paths that they had to, to go down. Um, so that's super cool. I mean, we're all we're all still super good friends and stuff like that. But uh, just to fill in the uh, the pew seats of the church, we had to uh, to look around, you know. And uh, I think this is this is definitely now like the strongest lineup ever, you know, from from the new stuff that we're writing now. Um, I'm hoping everybody's going to like it anyways. <laughs> so, so, all right. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, definitely. I speak, I speak on behalf of everybody, I think for that. Yeah. I was going to ask, like, how is the, the sound kind of changing with the addition of so many new people? I, at, at the time I was writing that first note card six months ago, whatever, you know, it was just Eddie's addition to the band. And now, now you got three new people in there. So is the sound changing? Is it getting heavier? Is it getting darker or weirder? Or, you know, where, where are you going with it? Uh, well, I think everybody's bringing, bringing something to the table, you know. Everybody, although we have common influences, I think uh, everybody has something, you know, that they bring to the table. And these new songs are definitely morphing to the point where it still sounds like Lords of the Opium Church, but I just think it's, a, it's just an evolution in the right direction. Yeah, it sounds like it's a bit faster riffing and stuff. And yeah. A bit more trashing in parts. 
it's, it's a lot of fun to play. Sure. Cool. <laughs> yeah. What kind of traction did you feel like you were getting with that first album? Because like I said, I, I hadn't even started slightly fuzzed yet. And I was super into like stoner and, and doom and stuff, but you know, I wasn't quite like as immersed into the, the scene or anything at that point. And I, I found it, you know, or, or it found me rather maybe with, with Spotify and whatnot. But I mean, did you feel like it was just some hobby project that like kind of blew up in, in, in front of you and unexpectedly, or was it like, were you surprised by the reception? I mean, it obviously morphed into other things that we're, we're going to talk about in a little bit. So, you know, what, what kind of like vibe did you get from putting that first album out? Uh, yeah, basically it was a, it seemed like a surprise. I mean, yeah. we didn't really have any, we didn't have any goals or really anything. We just wanted to put out something that we, I know this also sounds cliche, but we just wanted to put something out that we wanted to listen to, you know, and, right. yeah. and uh, just get it out of our system. And so we, we had the album, you know, we, we tweaked it quite a bit. There was a few times since uh, Terry owned the studio and everything, you know, we were in, we were in there all the time and we were changing versions of the songs and we were writing new stuff. And we were our own producers, you know, uh, obviously, and uh, just constantly tweaking the songs. We didn't have any deadlines or anything that we were trying to meet or really no expectations at all. Um, when we put out the album, we were talking with uh, Chris from, from Doom Tomb. Mm-hmm. And sent him one of the songs before the album came out, and he really enjoyed it. And he was—he's kind of the one who I got to give him credit because uh, he's kind of the one that sparked everything. He told us about the Doom charts, and you know, he said you guys should really look into sending some stuff off or really promoting this around because we didn't really do a whole lot. We shot a music video, but it was mostly just because it was like a bucket list thing. We just wanted to do it. Um. But yeah, we put that out, uh, got in touch with some people from the Doom charts and everything. We ended up placing number 11 on that month, which was like absolutely, like I was blown away. I didn't even awesome, think, yeah. you know, it was crazy. I, the bands that were, you know, next to us on that list are like, in my opinion, just fucking miles ahead. Those guys are amazing, right? Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, super, super honored just to be on that list. And then from that, you know, a lot of things have kind of went in the right direction and we're working with a lot of cool people right now. So, yeah, I mean, I don't exactly still quite understand how the doom charts work. <laughs> I think they're pretty complicated. There's a lot of people that have involvement in it, but like, you know, you see some months where it's like people recording solo projects in their bedrooms can make it, but also like you see like Monolord or something on there and you're like, yeah. this is rad because you know, it's, it's really like such a, like a real way to get the whole community kind of to get their buy-in and go like, this is what we're listening to. I don't care if it was one person or five guys, a big label, no label at all, bedroom, recording studio, it doesn't matter. Like, you know, everyone has their say and they they say what they like. And, and I think it's like a pretty accurate way of, you know, what people are digging at least. Yeah. I mean, it was super flattering just to be on that list, you know, like yeah. we never thought we would ever really do anything like that you know yeah so but yeah i think there's like a there's a panel of i guess judges or people who listen to it and they give it kind of a score and then depending on what all their score adds up to i guess is where you kind of place on it yeah i see a lot of people say in in like their profiles that like they're like a doom charts contributor or something like that so they must have a lot of people's uh influence on on the on the chart at least but yeah yeah so 
It's interesting. 20, all right, still in 21. How did you get involved with – well, I'll, I'll let you take it. I'll let, I'll let you guys talk about it. <laughs> the next step for Lords of the Opium Church, anything you want to want to announce there uh, for your next release, uh, who, you're, who you're working with or who found you and anything like that? Absolutely. So after the, the whole Doom Chart thing, you know, uh, we were just kind of buzzing on the fact that we were even acknowledged. Uh, I got a message from Mr. Blasco. Uh, for those of you who don't know, he's currently Ozzy Osbourne's bass player. He's worked with Rob Zombie. He was in Cryptic Slaughter back in the day, you know. Yeah. He uh, shot us a message over Instagram and basically just said, you know, what's what's your label situation? And, of course, I choked on my coffee or whatever it was that I was fucking drinking at the time. And, uh, yeah. like, there is none, <laughs> you know? Like, Did you feel like you might want to, like, lie and be like, well, you know, we're, we're shopping around. We got yeah. to, you know. Yeah, we just talked with uh, Sony and, uh, yeah. yeah. I think Death Row Records was interested in us. So, yeah, absolutely not. <laughs> like, I was just like, hey, wow, what's up, man? You know, kind of thing. And uh, he has a podcast called Volume Forever. Yeah. And he yeah. put a couple songs there from, from our first album there on, on that. So once again, super flattered. Uh, ended up having a Zoom meeting with him, and he explained, basically, he signs bands. Uh, he's working with Ripple Records, who we're working with now. So because of that, he took us on. He's going to be executive producer on our second album that we're – currently writing and uh yeah it's been a fucking blast so far that's so awesome i mean i i've had a few bands on here that have been well either either signed by ripple just in general or like you know specifically by by blasco and it's just so it's so insane i was just reading like more about him earlier today and it was like yeah he was in this band yeah he played with you know rob zombie and then ozzy and he he did like a stint with like um Danzig, was Danzig. I think Dan yeah, yeah Danzig. Yeah. Well, you know. I think well, but it was so brief I don't even think he counts that. But yeah. okay, <laughs> yeah, but like just huge. I mean, I it I mean I remember his name coming up when I was younger with Rob Zombie a lot. I knew that, but like now to be in like this stoner scene and see his involvement with Ripple and all these bands. I mean, that's just nuts to to get a message directly from him. And I mean, he's only selected what, like five bands or something at this point to be like, you know, one of those bands. Crazy. I know. Yeah, it's still it's still like fucking mind mind boggling, you know. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, he was super chill. We had a we had a Zoom meeting with him, you know, and organized that. And I mean, I was fangirling out, trying not to show it, you know, <laughs> like too much, but uh, trying to keep it somewhat professional, but. I mean, you can't take anything serious, especially in the music business. So too serious anyways. But uh, yeah, we had a chat and he's super down to earth. And basically told us what he does and how he contributes with Ripple and how he selects bands. And uh, basically he sees us as a potential force, I guess, you know, in this kind of genre. And uh, which once again, we're super flattered and honored to even be in that sort of mindset. And uh, yeah, we're just hoping it all works out, man. Yeah, I, I I wonder what his like selection process is. There's obviously a lot of bands to choose from in Stoner and Doom and and everything else that Ripple could obviously have their their pick of of any one of those 
genres and bands. You know, what was it about High Desert Queen or or yourselves or whatever that he wants to like take and and like nurture and grow into, you know, this big force to be reckoned with? Like, did he give you any kind of insight to like what his thinking was, like what he saw in you already or what he wants to take it to later or or anything like that? Yeah, basically he said that, uh, you know, he picks bands that he thinks could be really good, you know, not mm-hmm. he made sure to say, not that I don't think you're good already, but he just said, you know, with some guidance, you know, that uh, we could develop into something a little, a little better, you know, and kind of refine that sound. So, I mean, the guy knows what he's talking about for sure. Yeah. So. Yeah. When I was talking to Ryan from High Desert Queen, you know, they had just gotten, I think, signed at that time to ripple and it was a blasco band and 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 we talked about the music a little bit of course but like even the artwork you know he was like we had the album cover picked out already for our next album and blasco liked it but blasco's like insight to like what makes a like a big album you know what makes a a chart topping album cover what makes a take us very fucking seriously album cover like his insight to even that change completely about like what high desert queen ended up going with and like the album covers they went with for their album is amazing i mean it looks it, it took them to another level and and you can see that like that choice made a difference you know it it, it makes you be taken seriously and and we're not just some local stoner band like we are a big band and we're going to be here and we're going to make a difference and and that's blasco's you know experience at work i'm sure yeah, yeah. Basically, he, he pretty much reiterated that. He just said, you know, he's going to have a hand in in picking the artwork and and working with us. You know, is yeah. is kind of the vibe that I get whenever I talk with him. He's not out to change our sound or change who we are or do anything like that. He's just there to refine it, I guess, and uh, make the album the the best it could possibly be. You know? How often do you? How often do you have to? check in with him do you do you send him stuff you're working on do you send him demos and, and whatnot and yeah so we've been sending him demos you know as they come uh we just kind of usually just record like a rough version of something you know and that's still relatively audible i guess <laughs> you know and he comes back with some pointers you know there's been a couple songs where uh he said you know like that's pretty much good you know but but then there's been a few other ones where, you know, he's had some really good suggestions and stuff that, you know, us as musicians individually, I don't think we really would have thought of, you know. Um, well, sometimes it takes uh, someone else's perspective on the outside to, yeah, to, you know, see, see how it could be better. Yeah. That outside voice, you know, like uh, really makes a difference with a lot of it. There's stuff there, you know, like we're writing a couple songs and then, the song just kind of tapers off in an ending and then, you know, we send that off in an email and he comes back and he says, well, how about throwing in another chorus? You know, it's like, well, shit, we never really even thought of doing that. So yeah, we did it, you know, <laughs> and, it, and it changes the whole vibe of the song. Right. Something how does it feel taking even construction, constructive uh, criticism from someone when you had kind of free reign on the first album, like for myself, like as a, as a designer or something, it's tough because you work on something and you kind of put your, your soul into it and make this kind of piece of art and you send it off to someone like a logo or something. And, and they go, no, you know, it needs this and that. And you're like, well, who the fuck are you? You know, you don't know what you're talking about. You're, you're some guy that 
signs papers and like, I'm the artist, you know, what are you talking about? So it's hard not to take it serious, uh, like personal, yeah. even though that's the job. I mean, that's, that's part of the job is, is getting criticism from everyone and you just have to accept it and get over it. But I don't think you ever really quite get used to it. Like, is it difficult to get an outside opinion on this stuff when you kind of had free reign on the first album? Um, I mean, I don't think so at this point because like, and this is a conversation that we had with Blasco is like, everybody has their whole lives to write their first album, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. There's no, there's no time limit or anything on it, you know, but then between your first album and your second album or your second album, and your third album, I mean, now there's, there's sort of an expectation potentially. And, and you know, people, whoever might've listened to it might be already expecting something, you know? Mm-hmm. So there's definitely that, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, Obviously, he has the the credentials to, you know, you, you you need to listen to him or you want to even listen to him. Yeah. But it's it doesn't always make it easier. You know, you just you have a, a thing in your head. And when someone comes in and goes, actually, I think you should do it like this. You know, sometimes it's sometimes tricky. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think everything that we view from Blasco's opinions is more of a challenge, right? Like if he says... Uh-huh. If he suggests, you know, maybe putting some sort of melody over this guitar part. Well, for me as the guitar player, uh, you know, I've never tried to sing over this riff. So now I've got a personal challenge to be like, oh, shit, well, you know, maybe I got to learn, like, really learn how to do this and sing something over it, you know, and then that just changes the whole attitude of it. But I think within the band, too, I mean, uh, you know, we're always challenging each other, you know, I think. With, and, and there's no like sort of set rules. There's no, there's never going to be a situation where, for say, I'm going to walk in a jam room and be like, I've written this song and this is exactly how it's going to go and this is exactly the parts and that's it. You know, everything is just a rough mold, you know. And I think that's how some of the best stuff is, is written. It's just like on the spot. You know, we were jamming the other night and we're just messing around with random riffs and then shit just happens and it's like, oh shit, well maybe that's something that should be on the next record or, or the, the following record, you know, like, so we're, we're always challenging each other's uh, input, you know, yeah. in a healthy way, I think. So 21 was obviously an, uh, another year of quarantine and, and COVID and whatnot. Did you play a lot of shows? I don't know that I really saw one way or another if you played a lot of shows after the album came out. No, <laughs> we haven't actually. We uh, and we haven't even prioritized that because so many things are getting canceled and then rescheduled and this and that. It's just like we're just going to focus on writing a second album, writing and the material, best one that we can, and the best one that we possibly can. You know? mm-hmm. And uh, when the time comes when we can get out and start playing and, and hitting some stages and coming down your way and, and all that, you know. Yeah, we'll have a, a catalog of songs that hopefully people like. Right on. So, speaking of of Blasco, I guess, and and playing with Ozzy, you you told me that you once made Ozzy laugh. Tell me that story. <laughs> I did. At least I'm pretty positive I did. I don't know what you know. I don't even know if that guy knows what makes him laugh sometimes. But um, so a couple of years ago, I. Uh, when Sabbath were doing their 13, like the end tour, mm-hmm. I got tickets here in Edmonton at a place called Rexall, which is since no longer in existence. Um, so I got front row tickets to go see Sabbath because they were 
and our my favorite band of all time. Um, front row tickets, and I was wearing this hat that says "Evil Cunt" on it. It was a beanie, and I had it for whatever reason. I just had it kind of flipped up like this, and I tend to be a fidgety guy, so I'm just moving shit around or whatever. I ended up flipping it up halfway through the set. Now Ozzy's doing his fucking shuffle around, you know, he's running around and interacting with the crowd uh, in between songs, and he came right over to me and he looked at, which I'm pretty sure is my hat or my fucking face, I don't know, one of them, but he looked at me and he laughed and he gave me a thumbs up, ha ha, right in the microphone and he gave me one of those, of course I was just like, oh my god, Ozzy looked at me! Yeah. <laughs> you know? So. They, there was a time in, in I was I was in high school. We went and saw Aerosmith and Kiss. They were playing together uh, in the Quad Cities, where I'm from. And I think Aerosmith opened for Kiss. Uh, I think they maybe switched back and forth. But I was a I was a big Aerosmith fan at the time, anyway. And I knew you know a lot of their music and liked it. But they were then they they came out and played like something really old. And I didn't I didn't know it. It was like uh, like a Toys in the Attic era kind of a thing. But I didn't I didn't really know it. So anyway, I was just kind of standing there in the stands like this, not, not to be like disrespectful or anything, but it was just how I was standing at the time. And I was like, right on the, on the aisle. And Steven Tyler was like telling everyone to clap. And then he like stopped and he looked at me and he goes, you like this fucking clap. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there going me. And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> like started clapping. <laughs> I mean, it was like, <laughs> It was like a story that I could tell, but also like a little embarrassing. Like he totally called me out. And also at the same time, I was like, I don't know the song. I don't like, fuck you. But also, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I don't know. I didn't know how to feel about well, it. But he, uh, he definitely saw me not clapping and having my arms crossed. <laughs> I guess that clarifies there's a lot wrong with that guy, but maybe his eyesight isn't one of the things. That's not bad. Yeah. Because we definitely weren't like front row. We were like up in the stand somewhere. And he saw me from the stage and was like, <laughs> that guy's not clapping. <laughs> Fucking anti-clap fucking sensor is going off like one person that's not clapping. Yeah, no shit. You uh, you actually have met a handful of people, it sounds like. You, you sent me a, a few stories. Um, said you met Brant Bjork. Yeah, one of my one of my old bands opened up for him. Uh, he was doing a, a 420 festival. Uh, he was doing a DJ set, so it was kind of interesting. But... Uh, yeah, one of my old bands was on the bill for that for that particular day that he was playing. So, ended up meeting him, which was also super surreal because he's always just been somebody you see, you know, online yeah. or whatever. You just hear about him. He's just like a fucking enigma. It's Brent yeah. York, you know, yeah. mysterious Caius guy, you know. And he, then when I met him, out, just, he puts out a ton of music and he's in a oh, lot yeah. of things, but it's like not a person that I see a lot of like interviews, video footage or, or anything of, it's just like, he just keeps putting out music from yeah. the layer somewhere. <laughs> yeah. He's insanely creative, you know, that guy, yeah. big fan of all of his work, you know, yeah. but uh, yeah, I ended up meeting him and he was just like kind of behind the mixing board. And I was like, kind of psyching myself up with the guys I was hanging out with. And it's like, am I going to be that guy that just goes over and fucking says what's up? Like, yeah, I'm going to be that guy. I think I'm just going to go do that. Whatever. So yeah. I just went up to him. I was like, "Hey, man! Like, six song choices on your DJ set, you know?" And did one of these, and he was like, "Yeah, man! Like, put her there!" And like, just the ultimate chill guy. What is yeah. a, a DJ set from Brant Bjork? He just picks a playlist and, and plays his own. Yeah, just a bunch of like. I don't think he played any of his own music actually. 
Yeah. It was a lot of a lot of vintage stuff, a lot of Blue Oyster Cult, you know, a lot of just bangers, man. Really good stuff. When I was going to college, it was a like a suburb of Chicago, and um, I won tickets somehow through like this magazine to go see uh, like a Shepherd Fairy art exhibit. You know, the dude that did like Obey and and all that kind of shit. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So he had a, an exhibit in Chicago, but he was also going to like DJ that night. And they had like an opening band and all this kind of stuff and like real, like live bands playing, I think, if I remember correctly. And all his art, which is amazing and, and really cool to see up in person because you just kind of see it usually from magazines and large buildings from a distance and whatnot. But it was cool. It was very cool to be there. But then it was like the grand finale was Shepherd Fairy's DJ set. And he literally went up there, had a laptop, and was like, play. And it was like, he didn't have a turntable. It wasn't like he was like mixing stuff. He just was like, here's my playlist. And yeah. it was like, that was like the main event was him playing like his playlist at this fucking art show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, Brant had really good uh, taste in music. So, yeah, I don't even remember what Shepard Fairey was playing. I have no idea. I was just like, <laughs> what? <laughs> what is this? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, Brant Bjork though they uh, Stoner said they were coming out with the next second album totally it's called with a, a big pizza on the cover fucking right <laughs> I love how those guys are just like totally well totally owning it yeah. now at this point they're just like yeah no one liked the Stoner moniker for a lot of years and now we're called Stoner Stoner's yeah. rule totally pizza you know like <laughs> owning the whole thing yeah well, yeah, like during the 420 festival, I mean, I'm sure it was 420 being enjoyed. So it was, uh, it was, it was, it was fun. I mean, like I said, he was, he's like a, he's like a fucking monk or something, man. He's just like yeah. 100% Zen. Yeah. You know? And here I was just some random dude who was just like, what's up, man? Like he's getting all the time, like all night, you know, but he was super nice, man. And he's just like, fuck yeah. What's up, man? I always kind of I wonder now, especially after doing the podcast and stuff, like how big some of these people are or if I've just built them up to be bigger than they are. Because if I brought up Brant Bjork to my girlfriend or something, she'd be like, no fucking clue who that is. No, idea. <laughs> yeah. doesn't know who Caius is, doesn't know who like I mean, she'll know who like Queens of Stone Age is. That's probably about the like the extent of, you know, but to me and to, to many of us, we're like Brant Bjork, man, you know, that's that's amazing. So like if he goes to the airport, like he's going to get recognized. Probably not, really. Right. But if he's at like a festival or something, like I, I saw a bunch of pictures from Psycho Las Vegas this year, and like all these people just surrounding, you know, Brant Bjork and like Matt Pike or you know wherever he goes, and like to to, to this small underground, it's like legends. But yeah. to the rest of the world, to like ninety percent, ninety five percent of the population, they're like, I don't know who that is, no clue. Yeah, I think I'd only like probably recognize Matt Pike in a crowd if he wasn't wearing a shirt. It's yeah, like, <laughs> but that would make it easier for sure. Him, you know, with a Les Paul like just mounted <laughs> upon his stomach. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, if I was in the airport and I saw Brant Bjork, I'd be like, "Brant Bjork, what's up?" Yeah. <laughs> I'm not, I don't know that I'm very good at recognizing people out of, you know, out of the crowd in like real life situations. But if you see anyone with long hair, it's a little unusual enough to where you go, I wonder if that guy's famous. Yeah. yeah. If, I, if I saw you, Eddie, at the airport, I go, I bet that guy's in a band. 
yeah. maybe a good band, maybe not. I don't know, but I bet he's in a band. <laughs> if I saw Eddie at the airport, I'd be like, dude, what the? Can I? Can I get your autograph? <laughs> Sure. You guys want to do uh, Real or Fuzzed? Sure. All right. So Real or Fuzzed, I'm going to show you 10 album covers. They're all ridiculous. Some are real. Some are fake. You tell me what is real or fuzzed. The first one is by Mike Crane, the karateist preacher, God's Power. That almost looks like the original Ooh. album art for your first album. For your first album. <laughs> yeah, that was almost the Opium Church. That, that was. Okay. That, I think that was actually. Fuck. That was the original. <laughs> he took it. Yeah. Last thing to say. So real or fuzzed? What are we gonna say? I don't know. I'm gonna say oh. fuzzed. It's fuzzed. I think it's fuzzed. I don't know. I don't know about the rest yeah. of the guys. I think it's real. I say real. I'm with this Eddie. is the real. This is the real album. That's a real one. <laughs> <laughs> preacher. I mean, his hand is in motion too, so he's definitely fucking whacking the shit. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, all God's power, man. Pinky. Yep. <laughs> it looks like it's kind of wrapped up or something. Maybe he has like a cast on or something. Looks like he so might have. Uh... The real question is, who wants to punch bricks for our next album cover? <laughs> Not it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> this one's called Hot Poop Does Their Own Stuff. Oh, I didn't see the T at first. Thank God you said that. <laughs> Hope Poop would also be a very good album. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Does their, does their own stuff. This guy over here is uh, is definitely taking a poop there on the left. I, I believe. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. What's up with that person there? Like, I think this guy, this guy's dead. This guy's doing drugs. Okay. I don't know what they're doing, and this guy's shitting for this sure. This is like a human centipede going wrong. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is some fucking fuzzed. Yeah, it's fuzzed. I'm gonna say that's fucking real, man. There's some weird grindcore shit out there. <laughs> this is real. This is a real album. <laughs> Hot poop. I knew it was real because I have the album right here. <laughs> Instrumental masterpieces by Living Dead Toven. Uh, this one's got to be fake because we've had two reels. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure that's Ingrid Melmstein for fuck's sake. I don't know. This is fuzzed. Looks a little bit like Ron Jeremy. <laughs> Duke, Ron Jeremy Robert Lard. And the Pleasure King. This guy looks more like Ron Jeremy. Oh, and the Pleasure <laughs> King. There you go. And the Pleasure King. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's, that's Danny McBride. Yeah, right. Look at that mustache. I don't know. That's uh, <coughs> he doesn't have his first couple of fucking buttons done up here, so yeah. I think he is an actual Pleasure King. Because you know, nobody who's a Pleasure King does up there. That's if like El Chapo decided to start a band and play guitar. <laughs> yeah. Actually, El Chapo and the Pleasure Kings. <laughs> this is real. <laughs> yeah, of course that is. Nice. This is the real one. Roger Chapman, let's spend the night together. Also real for sure. I think. I think I was close. It's it's 
creepy. I don't oh. want to admit that I think it's real, but yeah, I think. What's interesting about this one is his uh, his jumpsuit says Otis on it, not That's Roger. True. And he's Roger Chapman. <laughs> this is a real one. This is a real album. Oh, <laughs> I've seen a thousand versions of that, I think, yes. at like every garage sale I've ever been to. Every album in 1978, yeah. I think, looked like that. In all of our parents' record collections. Yeah. Yeah, I'll have a Roger, creepy Roger Chapman. I want to do a podcast, and maybe you guys want to join me for one of them, but I want to do a podcast where I actually look up like the story behind album covers like this and figure it out. Like, one, who, do, who fucking designed this? Who is Roger Chapman? What does the music sound like? Why the fuck did you make it so weird and creepy? Like I want to like deep dive these album covers. So, well, and what does he want to do spending the night together? Like, does he want to do construction work? Or- <laughs> yeah. Or- who, who approved the idea to wear a jumpsuit when you're yeah. trying to ask someone to spend the night with you? <laughs> it's like in parentheses, it should just be like, "Let's spend the night together and discuss how we're going to break out of jail." We'll spend <laughs> like- <laughs> we'll spend the night together, and you're never getting out of my basement. Also, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let's. You're going to be a lampshade, fuck. The Philanderers, you're the only one today. <laughs> oh, I, this one's fuzz, but I want this one to be real so damn bad. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, it's, a, it's a woke village people is what it is. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, the dude, the blonde guy looks like a fucking PC version of the dude from Scooby-Doo or something. Yeah, I was going to say, Fred. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know, man. This one's oh, fussed. That one's fussed, okay. Yeah. Country Church. Oh, real. Real. <laughs> real. You guys are confident. Yeah. You, you guys all own this album or what? <laughs> oh, dude, you don't know? <laughs> it just looks like my old man and his, and his siblings. This was this was Orpium Church when they were Country Church. <laughs> yeah, that, that, was, that was us, yeah. I don't know, but that should be our next fucking album cover or something like that. Just put, make it in the <laughs> nighttime. Make it that in the nighttime, and there you go. And the, and the barn will be on fire or yeah. some shit. Yeah. <laughs> the barn will just be a burning church. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that, that one is, is real. Uh, another album that I, I want to explore a little deeper. It'll be a real burn. Yeah. The Clip Boys. Oh, we don't name. play the game. Nice. <laughs> I mean, probably real. I think that's like some, sounds like a punk band. Yeah, some shit from yeah, Clip Boys. The Clip Boys, which actually looks like a chicken's foot. <laughs> yeah, the nineties kind of. I don't know. Yeah, it looks like this one's real. Yeah. 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 Fuck. You guys well, are pretty good. I know what I'm doing later. Looking those guys up, that's for sure. Joe Malone, touch myself. Uh, first, I hope. Joe Malone. I don't know who Joe Malone is, but. It looks like some darkness <laughs> shit. Like <laughs> He looks like, yeah, yeah, the lead singer of darkness and the ultimate warrior had a left child. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. It's. I don't know. It's got to be like Eastern European or something. Well, oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know, man. Fuzzed. Real. Fuzzed. I'm going to go real. Fuzzed. This is fuzzed. Oh. I mean, it's a real picture. Someone really took this picture, yeah. but uh, it's not a real album. 
The Miracle at My House. Well, there's a Guiro in it, so it has to be. Yeah, yeah I was going to say this one. Was Is it Meatloaf? <laughs> yeah. My eyes aren't that good. It's not me. It's not you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm going to say real. Real. Yeah, it's creepy as fuck, though. That's real. Yeah. It's real. Yeah. But what does it sound like? I don't know. The mirror. The mirror. Listen, I think I'm on to something with this podcast of, like dedicated to these album covers. I, I need to know more. And I need to know what it sounds like. I need to know why they exist. I need well, to know who designed them. Branch off, right? Like Keep this podcast, but branch off with a sub-podcast of just albums. Yeah, I think I'm going to. I, I think I have to. I don't know how much I can dig up on some of these things, but I'm every time I do Real or Fuzz with someone, they're like, what does it sound like? Why? Why does it exist? Who are these yeah. people? You know? well, where do you find them from? That's what I want to know. My search history is so weird. <laughs> like, <laughs> not only the album covers, but I did like a segment like like shitting, fucking, or playing, and like trying to look up people <laughs> like getting photos of themselves shitting or fucking, and yeah. just you know, I, I I have this like I've reached this other level of the internet that most people don't get to. I think. <laughs> See, yeah. you've gone like way past the dark web there. Yeah. It's it's not even the dark web anymore. Yeah. There's dark web, and then there's the fucking outer reaches of weird yeah. fucking album covers. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the fuzzed web at that point. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so, what is the timeline for Lords of the Opium Church in 2022? What can we expect from you guys going forward? Um, we are still writing the the second album. You know. We're, we're getting there. First and foremost. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think we'd all like to play a show or two, maybe. Yeah. 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 Possibly down the road. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've been talking with some people, you know, and uh, we're definitely going to get down down the state. You know, we'd like to hit up Europe eventually, too. We've been talking with some people. So we'll see what happens when it comes to that. Um, yeah, working on the second album and... Uh, any idea when we can hear the first single or anything off of the, the next album? Uh, we don't have any set dates yet, but uh, I think when it happens, we'll, we're just going to just put it out there. And I don't know how much warning we're going to give, really. You know, it's up to, uh, we'll talk with, you know, of course, Ripple and, and, and Blasco about that. But yeah, I, I've always kind of seen it. I don't know. I think everybody might agree, like just super random. Fuck it. We'll just throw it out, you know, and uh, see what happens. All right, fair enough. <laughs> Anything else you want to plug? Anywhere else you want people to go check out? Check out the first album while they're while they're listening. Yeah, I mean you can check us out on all platforms, you know, Spotify and iTunes and all that kind of shit. Uh, if you haven't seen our videos, we've got a couple of little music videos and stuff out. We're in the works of doing some more. Um, okay. You can hear our first album, of course, on Bandcamp as well. And just follow us on all social medias, really, and just keep an eye out for uh, some teasers of the second album. And we're working on a lot of really cool shit. So. Cool. Well, congratulations to you guys uh, signing to Ripple and, and working with Blasco. I think that's huge, huge news. I think it's going to mean a lot for the, the next album and going forward. Um, I'm a big fan of the first album. It's one of those things that I heard before Slightly Fuzzed even exists, like I, I said. Uh, um 
you know, I, I've discovered a lot through the podcast and through Slightly Fuzz, but it's one of those things that I, I knew even before all this. So it, it, uh, it made its way to me and, and I loved it long before I ever had any, you know, pop podcast or anything else to, to promote anything on. So, um, it's good stuff. Everyone go check it out and thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks. Thanks, Thank you for having us later.